0: And so we've spent this week understandably and well reflecting on all the things that the Lord has given us. And if you think about the plenty that you've got in your life, whether it's food, clothing, house to live in, friends, family, etc., we thank the Lord out of the abundance that He's given us. I want, however, this morning to draw your attention to another form of thanksgiving, The Horn of Plenty is associated with just that, the plenty that we have in our lives. The cross, on the other hand, has an entirely different idea. The idea of the cross, when we look at the cross, we think of sacrifice, because it reminds us of how Jesus died for us. We start with the plenty, and thank God for that. But the Lord wants to take us to a different place and a deeper place in our thanksgiving, in the expression of it. And the place He wants to take us, that different place that He wants to take us, is where we're not just thanking Him for all the things that we identify that we have in life, but rather we are going to a place with Him where we express our thanks to Him through sacrifice. In other words, God wants to take us from the horn of plenty to the cross. Now, in the United States, that's a difficult place to go because, first of all, our culture conditions us to want stuff, to have stuff, and to appreciate stuff, etc. And sacrifice is not something that we associate much with in this culture and we as American Christians have much of an experience with, and yet sacrifice is where God wants to take us and where we need to go if we're going to develop and deepen our relationship with the Lord Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn with me to Psalm chapter 50. Psalm chapter 50. Because the psalmist is going to talk about here in Psalm 50 is the aspect of thanking God through sacrifice, and how that thanking Him through the expression of sacrifice deepens our walk with Him. Now, the 50th Psalm, as best we can tell, was written by a guy by the name of Asaph, A-S-A-P-H. He was a contemporary of King David. He was perhaps the best musician in Israel at the time that David was the king of Israel. And the reason I say that is this. When David brought the Ark of the Covenant, which was the symbol of the very presence of God, into the city of Jerusalem to place it eventually in the temple, he chose Asaph as the man who was in charge of the worship that day in the city of Jerusalem. You could not have asked for any greater of a responsibility than to have arranged the music and the worship that day to bring the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. So he would have been probably the top musician in Israel at that time. He also developed a hymnal for Israel that was added to as time went by. Now this psalm is given to us, and I'm not going to read the whole psalm. You can do that when you get home. We're going to focus on verse 23. But the psalm is presented to us as a court scene. And God is depicted as both the plaintiff and the judge. And the nation of Israel is presented as the defendant. God comes before His people and He lists before them the faults that they have as a nation. And He exposes their faults. Verses 16 through 22, He lists 12 sins of the nation of Israel. Now, the problem that Israel had is that they were looking at the patience of God. In other words, they were walking away from the Lord. They were doing their own thing. They were angering God. But God has incredible patience. But they were interpreting the patience of God that God didn't see their sin any different than they saw their sin. So because they didn't think their sin was any big deal, it wasn't any big deal with God. And in this psalm, God is saying to them, your sin is a big deal. The only reason you have not encountered judgment yet is because of my patience. It's not because of you. I see your sin entirely different. In verse 21, he tells them he is going to judge them. In verse 22, he says, I'm going to call you to repentance. And then in verse 23, he tells them how to avert judgment. And that's the verse we're going to look at. Psalm 50, verse 23. The one who offers thanksgiving... Notice as he says this, the one who offers thanksgiving, how? As his sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. Now notice how he breaks it down. The one who offers thanksgiving, how? As his sacrifice, that offering that's presented as a sacrifice does what? It glorifies me. To the one who orders his way rightly, to that person he says, I will show the salvation of God. Now, my sermon outline is contained on the third page or the back page of your bulletin. I invite you, if you would, to follow along with me. Let's look at the first verb there, to the one who offers thanksgiving. First of all, in the Hebrew language of which the psalm was originally written... The word offers there is in a continual tense. In other words, what he's saying here is the one who offers this sacrifice over and over and over again. This isn't just a one-time thing. I want this to be your lifestyle of coming to me and offering me thanksgiving as a sacrifice, but it has to become part of your lifestyle. Now, the word that's translated offer there was used in those days of speaking of an animal sacrifice. In the Old Testament sacrificial system, there were a series of offerings that the people were instructed to give. Some were grain offerings and some were the offerings of animals. The highest sacrifices, the most important sacrifices, and the most costly sacrifices were those that had to do with animals. And in most cases, they were sheep or lambs. Now, if you were a farmer and you were raising sheep, as many of the farmers would have done in Israel in those days because it was by and large an agrarian society, or if you purchased a sheep that was going to be offered as a sacrifice, the sheep herder, the shepherd, would go to the flock, and he wasn't just to pick out any particular sheep that had to be there. He particularly was not to go to that flock and find the weakest, dirtiest, messed up sheep he could find and say, well, I don't have any use for this thing, I'll get rid of it and use it as a sacrifice. God gave very specific directions. You go, you walk up to that flock, and you pick the lamb that has no spot and no blemish, the best one there. And that is to be the sacrifice that you're to offer. Now, why did God tell him to pick one without spot or blemish? Because God was saying several things to him. Number one, you give me your best. Why should you give me your best? Because nothing less than your best is worthy of me. Now God was also picturing to them that the day was going to come when He would send His Son as the Lamb of God and He would be giving His best to us and for us. So He says to them, you're to give this offering. And this offering is going to be a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice because the meat that could be mine from yours through the sheep is going to be mine. The wool that could be yours is going to be mine. In other words, you're taking what would be for your benefit and you're giving it to me as a sacrifice. So this idea that he's using of this verb here when he says the one who offers thanksgiving, the idea is you find the best that you have in life and you offer and give that up to the Lord. Don't give God your leftovers, but rather find the best that you have and offer that to the Lord for him to use as he desires it. Now the word there in the offering carried the idea of extended your hands up. Sometimes when we praise the Lord, we place our hands in the air. That is actually an old Hebrew form of worship that goes all the way back to the Old Testament. And it was the idea that you took the offering and you presented that offering in the presence of the Lord. So he's saying, I want you to sacrifice the best that you've got and give it to me when you worship number of years ago, there was a gentleman who wanted to study worship styles across literally the world. He went and visited cathedrals and so forth in Europe, and then he got to China. And when he got to China, he went into an underground church. Underground because it was, the services were being held in a way not to agitate the authorities because they were really disallowed to worship. And this is how the service began, not with the choir singing, not with announcements, not with the things we've done. The service began by the leader of worship saying this to the congregation. As we get into this service today, there's a good chance that the authorities are going to come in here. If they come in, they will burst through the doors, and as soon as you hear the doors begin to open, everybody in here needs to hit the ground. Because when they come in, they will begin to spray this sanctuary with gunfire as their way of intimidating those of us who were in here. So we want you to be prepared that in case that happens, hit the floor immediately so that you don't get hit by a bullet. They were being prepared to worship in that their worship would be a sacrifice. They were being prepared to worship that they might actually have to sacrifice their lives in the worship service that day. Folks, when we worship, our worship begins to take on the form of a sacrifice to the Lord, that worship will change us. But how much of what we call worship does not change us? We come in here and we leave the same person that we did when we walked in the door, because our worship doesn't change us. We walk in the door with unforgiveness towards somebody and we leave with unforgiveness for somebody because we don't want to sacrifice our right to to hold bitterness and unforgiveness. We walk in with resentment and we leave with resentment. We walk in with sin that secretly we enjoy and we cuddle to ourselves, and we walk out the door holding the same sin to ourselves. We walk in and we look around the room and we see a brother or a sister in Christ that we don't like or we're ticked off with or we got something against them, and we walk out the door still ticked off with them. We walk in with an addictive behavior that we just won't let go of, and we walk out the door because our worship is not changing us. And the reason our worship is not changing us is it is devoid of sacrifice. We don't want to give anything up to worship Jesus. But you see, worship is supposed to change us to be like Jesus. If we are truly worshiping Him, if we are offering Him the sacrifice that He's asking for here, then we will be changed. You see, the idea is that we give up something that's to our benefit so that it becomes to His benefit. Jesus, I am willing to, with the help of brothers and sisters in Christ, to give up this addiction because, Lord, in giving the addiction up, I become a whole person, a healed person, and someone that now you can use fully to your glory. Lord, I give up the resentment, I give up the bitterness, I give up the unforgiveness and what I, I've got against somebody else so that I can belong to you and not belong to the unforgiveness forgiveness and the bitterness anymore, because I don't want you to be Lord of just 90% of my heart. I want you to be Lord of 100% of my heart. Lord, when I come, I want to give you everything. I want to give you the fears that I have that are holding me back from becoming and being all that you want me to be. You see, this sacrifice of worship purifies our worship so that we do truly glorify Him. This sacrifice of worship makes us faithful. It means that I am finding my contentment in Jesus, not in this world and the things of this world. Folks, one of the the temptations that we're all going to struggle with for the next month is every time you turn your television on, every time you turn your iPhone on, you name it, they're going to be sitting there telling you, if you just get this for Christmas, you'll be content and happy. And by February the 1st, we won't be content and happy with it anymore. Because you see, the things of this world do not make us content and happy. Only Jesus brings true, lasting contentment in life. The time of sacrifice in the Old Testament giving was the time of worship and celebration. In other words, when they brought their sacrifices to the Lord, they did not say, oh man, I'm giving up this and I'm giving up that and I'm giving up the other and man, I'm not going to have it anymore and I'm so upset about this and it could have been mine. They rather walked up to the Lord and they said, this is a time to celebrate because what I am presenting to the Lord belongs to Him now. He is worthy of this and I want to honor Him and I want to glorify Him. You see, when I don't want to let go of anything in my life and give it to Jesus, my refusal to let go is saying that that is more important to me than Jesus I know that's rough preaching but folks it's a reality you see when I am in love with Jesus anything that he asks me to give to him and for him is a privilege and an honor because my greatest and highest portion is the Lord Jesus Christ You say, how in the world do you get there? Let me suggest this to you in your mind's eye periodically. Go to the cross and just imagine yourself at the foot of Calvary looking up at Him bleeding for you, dying for you, loving you, giving everything He's got for you, and let that just wash over your heart and wash over your mind and then take a trip just a few blocks from the cross to the tomb where he walked out alive and well on Easter Sunday morning and say he's the one that I'm worshiping and I'm adoring that rose again from the grave and defeated everything. And then when you finish that, go look at the eastern sky and say someday that sky is going to split wide open when he comes again and that is what I am living for when Jesus comes again and he's worthy of anything that I sacrifice for him. This sacrifice of thanksgiving purifies our worship. It makes us faithful to Him. But it means that our worship is not isolated to Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock. It means that if we give the sacrifice of worship, when we walk through those doors or that door at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, the worship service already started earlier in the week. Is just sort of culminating with the body of Christ when we get in here on Sunday morning. See, too many of us treat the 11 o'clock worship service like a battery trying to get a car going. If the choir and the praise team and the pastor do a good job of hooking the battery up to our lives and jumping us, we'll get started in worship. But folks, if that's the way we worship, we're always going to be in bad shape. Because sooner or later, we're not going to be able to get the cables on you just right and get you jacked up and get you going, all right? All right. And that's not our calling anyway. You see, the idea is that when we worship, we started worshiping. We started giving up for Him. We started sacrificing our lives for Him in the earlier in the week. So then we come in here on Sunday mornings, we are just beginning to reflect what God has done in our lives. And we are already worshiping when we walk in here. And by the way, when we do that, we're going to see the Spirit of God move in here like we have never seen the Spirit of God move among us when we get together. Oh, follow me on what I'm about to say. This sacrifice of thanksgiving that I'm talking about here, it is not seeking an experience to make us feel good. What I'm talking about here is not coming here on Sunday morning and saying, I want to walk in church and have an experience this morning that makes me feel good. I want to choir to nail it, so I'm going to feel good. I want to praise, band, rock it, so I will feel good. I'm not giving a flip whether I feel good or not because I'm not after an experience. I'm after Jesus. Amen. You see the difference in that? And let me say this. If the choir bombs and the praise team is off key and I can't preach my way through a wet paper bag as long as he's here, that's all that matters and we will worship because in the end of the day, it is about Jesus, and it is only about Jesus. I'm not looking for an experience. I am looking for Him. And if I meet Him and encounter Him, oh, please hear me, on Easter Sunday morning, there were no choirs, well, there were probably some angel choirs singing in the background, but there were no official choirs, there were no praise bands, and there weren't even preachers. All they had was a resurrected Savior, and they couldn't stop worshiping because they had a resurrected Savior. That's where the sacrifice of thanksgiving will take us to. Let's talk about how we worship Him with the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Let's talk about our eyes. Where do do I look at? And even more, what do I gaze at? What occupies my eyes? You see, the sacrifice of thanksgiving means to say, God these eyes are going to look at and they're going to gaze at and they're going to fix in on what honors you and pleases you. That's why Job said, I've made a covenant with my eyes that I will not use them to lust. So Jesus, you got my eyes. So that my eyes don't look at what they shouldn't be looking at, but that my eyes do look at what they should be looking at. You see, if my eyes are caught up looking at trash that they don't need to be looking at, I can't be looking at the stuff I really do need to be looking at. So, Lord, you get the sacrifice of my eyes. Lord, you get the sacrifice of my tongue. What I say. Now, I don't have time to go into, but the book of James is filled with instructions about how to use this tongue. Lord, this tongue is going to be used to build people up. I'm going to sacrifice it to you so it's not going to be used for me to tear other people down so I can build myself up. My tongue, Lord, is going to be used to praise you. My tongue, Lord, is going to be used to say stuff that honors you, not stuff that dishonors you. And then, Lord i got to present something else to you as a sacrifice. i got to present this to you as a sacrifice. Now, if your iPhone is like my iPhone, it's got lots of apps on it. And they can be used for positive things and they can be used for negative things. If your iPhone is like mine, it has texting capacity on it. So you can text back and forth as much as you want to. Now, mine's not connected directly to the Internet, so I don't have that capacity on it. That's to keep me from being any more addicted to the thing than I'm already addicted to it. Now, why do I say this has got to be presented to him as a sacrifice? Because we've got to be careful. The, the way we communicate through this honors and pleases Jesus. We've got to be careful that when we respond to people, that, man, it's so easy to pull this out and just start throwing things down on it and hitting the send button instead of asking ourselves, did I think about what I just said? Did I pray through what I just sent? Because sometimes our S-E-N-D button becomes our S-I-N button. But the way we hit it and we send it. The stuff that we can access and look at Through this? Does it honor him? Does it please him? But oh, let me use it in this one other way. Okay, and this is where I go from preaching to meddling, all right? And my son's here this morning, so I'm going to pick on him, all right? Help me illustrate this. If my face is in this, it can't be with this. If I am occupied with this, I cannot be occupied with him. If I sacrifice this to the Lord so that I put it down so that I can spend more time with Him and focus on Him, let me tell you what I do. And parents and grandparents, please hear me on this. And young people, hear me on this. You see, if I'm all wrapped up in this and I'm not wrapped up in my son, what I ultimately sacrifice is my relationship with my son for this. And this is not worth him. I don't care how good this is, it's not worth him. Now, please hear me on this, because I don't want to shake you up too much. But if you pull yourself away from this and actually look at somebody in the face and talk to them, the world will not come to an end. You will survive. You can communicate face to face, and, and the world will not come to an end, all right? But what we've got to start doing with these devices, and it's the easiest thing in the world to do, is to bury myself in one of these. I understand that. But we've got to start saying, Jesus, how can this be used to your honor and your glory? And sometimes he's going to say, just lay that thing aside and focus on me and focus on other people. The sacrifice means that we often put ourselves in a place where it's a risky business, be a Christian we're going to be ridiculed mocked, may get passed over for a promotion because people know we follow Jesus that's the sacrifice notice what he says next, who orders his way rightly the idea there where it says his way is a path that is worn by constant walking, in other words I'm walking with him every day notice his promise I will show him the salvation of God. I want to draw your attention to two words in that sentence. I will show him the salvation of God. First of all, we saw this last week. The word translated God there is the Hebrew name for God, Elohim. I will show him whose salvation? Elohim's salvation. What's the significance of the name of God there? Two things. It means strong and majestic. I will show him the salvation of the one who is strong and majestic. And it is the name of God that is used in Genesis 1 and 2, the Creator. I will show Him the one who is the Creator. The one who is creating your life. When I offer Him that thanksgiving, when I offer Him my eyes, when I offer Him the various things I spoke of, at that point I'm saying, Jesus, start creating my life. Start creating my life. Now, notice what he says. He says, I'm going to do what? I'm going to show him what? The salvation of God. The word salvation there. Every time you see the word salvation in Scripture, you can write the word deliverance beside it, because that's a basic concept of salvation is deliverance. He's going to deliver us from stuff, he's going to deliver us to stuff. He's going to deliver us from living in lies and falsehoods and deliver us to his truth. The Bible says, Say with me, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. So when He delivers us, He's delivering us from living in falsehood, and He is delivering us into truth. And when you and I start walking in truth, we're going to start walking and living in freedom. Let me tell you the other thing He's going to deliver us from. We always say He's going to deliver us from sin and shame and guilt, and He does that when He forgives us and cleanses us. But let me tell you the biggest thing God needs to deliver us from. He needs to deliver us from ourselves. Most of the trouble we get in, we get into ourselves. Most of the mess-ups, who causes them? We do. He delivers us from us so that He can deliver us to Himself. So I don't have to belong to my mistakes and screw-ups anymore. I can belong to Jesus. So I don't have to belong to the things in life that are pulling me down. I can belong to Jesus. And he says when you give this sacrifice that glorifies Him, that brings attention to Him, that the end result of that is that you know His salvation, you know His deliverance. The sacrifice of thanksgiving takes us to the place of living and knowing His deliverance. His freedom. And that sense of belonging to Him. So I want to ask you the question this morning. Are you just living out of the horn of plenty? Or are you and I living out of the sacrifice of the cross? What is it that Jesus... Is saying to us, You need to give it to me. I want you to give it to me. I'm calling upon you to give it to me. Sacrifice, and it will be painful, but sacrifice it to me. He says, If you do that, I will show you my deliverance. You will walk and live in the deliverance of God for you, but only until you offer that sacrifice of thanksgiving. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I want you right now to look over your life and to ask yourself this question, Lord, what do I need to sacrifice? What do I need to give over to you? Let him by the power of his spirit identify that. And then imagine yourself taking it, whatever it is, and placing it in his hands and giving it to him. Father, this day, and as we leave this place and travel in to this week, we want to invite the Holy Spirit to show us what we need to give to you. It may be something very good that we see benefits us, but Lord, you're asking us to give that to you. And Lord we look for your deliverance, particularly from us and for, Lord, the way we tend to mess up life. Lord, thank you that this call to the sacrifice of thanksgiving follows the sacrifice of yourself for us on the cross. And because of that, we can trust you with whatever we give to you. In just a moment, as the praise band leads us in a song of invitation, if you're here and you need to give your life to Jesus, I want to invite you to walk the aisle, and I would love to pray with you about giving your life to Him. If you're here and you need to give something else to Jesus, then I want to ask you to do that. If you need to come and pray, the altar is open. If He's calling you into the ministry and you need to surrender to that call and give yourself to Him in that regard, then why don't you come and say, Lord, I'm sealing this commitment of calling into ministry or into missions. If you're here and and, and God's saying you need to surrender yourself to me in your marriage or in your dating life so that that part of your life now begins to honor Him, then I want to encourage you to do that. If you need to do that as a parent, Lord, I need to give my parenting to You. I don't know how to do this, God, but I want to give it to You and ask that, Lord, my parenting would be to honor and to glorify You. I want to encourage you to do that. Whatever it is the Spirit of God is speaking to you about, give it to Him. And if the Lord is calling you to serve Him with us in this place, then we invite you to come and become a part of this church family.